Ladies and gentlemen, and fellow golfers, for your entertainment. It's the Golf to Go Hour with Frank LaRosa, brought to you by the Hagen Oaks Golf Super Shop, America's most awarded golf facility. Nature Wood Home Furnishings, where it's all about choices and always about quality. Welcome in to another edition of the Golf to Go Radio Hour here on Sacktown Sports 1140. Hi, I'm Frank LaRosa. He's Scott Marsh. Hi, Scott. Frank, how are you? You know, we didn't have a chance. Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, we didn't have a chance to play golf this week, but uh, you and I uh, had a chance to putt at the uh, at the Morton Golf Foundation putting party, and uh, that uh, was a great fundraiser and a lot of fun. Most fun event of the year. I love that event. The weapons of grass destruction here at Bonneville put it a better effort. Not a not a winning effort, but we're getting there. I'm looking forward to 2024 already. Like a tour player, you have to learn how to win, I guess. You do. you got to go through your ups and downs. Even the great Chicago Bulls in Michael Jordan's day, they had to have their downs before they went on their title run. And, uh, you know, that describes what, uh, what, a, what a golf career is all about. Yep. <laughs> on the show today, uh, we have uh, Donna Archer. Uh, Donna is the uh, widow of uh, uh, George Archer, who was uh, uh, a 14-time winner on, uh, on the PGA Tour. And uh, I'm not sure how many times he won on the Senior Tour as well. But uh, everybody knows him here in Northern California because he, he played here a lot uh, when the when the senior tour was, uh, this was one of the stops. He, he, was a, he was a fun guy, but had a secret, and Donna will tell us about that. Yeah, Donna's one amazing woman. We've had her on the program before. It's always a pleasure to talk with her, and obviously George Archer, one of the, one of the great golfers of all time. Jeff Russell uh, spent a career in, uh, in the golf world on the, on the media side. He was with uh, Golf Digest, Golf World Magazine, and Ended his career at the Golf Channel, and uh, he's a Sacramentan, having gone to Miraloma High School. Yeah, it'll be great to catch up with him and his wife, Molly, of course, in the golf world as well, and now at NBC. Talk about a power couple in the golf game at one time. Well, you got that right. All that and more on the Golf to Go Radio Hour here on Sacktown Sports 1140. Back right after this. It's the Golf to Go Hour with Frank LaRosa on Sacktown Sports. You are listening to the Golf to Go Radio Hour here on Sacktown Sports 1140. Hello, everyone. I'm Frank LaRosa along with uh, Scott Marsh. Scott, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic, Frank. Looking forward to another great show here. You know, we uh, we have a, our old friend Donna Archer. And, and by old, I just mean time, um, certainly. <laughs> Uh, Donna, uh, wife of, uh, of George Archer and, uh, um, we, she and I became friends. Um, uh, it seems like forever we've been friends, Donna, but, uh, I had the, I had the chance once, uh, to be around George and, and, uh, and kind of get to know him a little bit. And Donna was probably in the background somewhere and I, I just never got a chance to meet her. And, uh, and and after uh, after George died, uh, he's, his uh, secret that he kept was revealed, and we're going to talk about that as well. So that's kind of a a long introduction to uh, to saying uh, welcome to my friend Donna Archer uh, to the Golf to Go Radio Hour. Well, thank you, Frank, and thank you, Scott, and everybody else involved. You know, Sacramento is like my adopted city. That's where I met George. So I love your city, and I like you guys a lot. So thanks for talking to me. You know, met George might be a little, uh, you know, a little soft. You, as I understand it, you kind of were stalking George, weren't you? <laughs> I was, but it was, uh, it was. Uh, a kind of a funny thing because I'm five foot three and he was six foot six, so <laughs> I might have been stalking his kneecap. 
get to be a stalker then, do you? <laughs> I, I think probably not. And and uh, I'm guessing I will never see your picture in the post office. Uh, you know, Donna, yeah. you, you, I, we, we talked, uh, you know, a, a couple of weeks ago after the Masters because uh, you have always gone back to the Masters every year. And uh, and George obviously won the, the tournament uh, in his career. Tell me a, a little bit about, you know, first of all, why you go back every year. And then, you know, what it was like uh, for George to win the Masters and, 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 and how that changed his career or, or, or did it? Um, which question would you like me to start with going back? Or? Yeah, let's talk about going back. Okay. Well, I I was trying to figure out this morning how many years I've gone, and I think it's at least 40. So there are, of course, a lot of changes. I go back because I get to see a lot of my old friends. Sadly, though, this year, uh, when I saw one of my old friends with whom we started the tour, actually, his wife had passed away, and several wives of my generation are gone. And that's kind of, uh, I don't know what you, how you would call it. It's kind of like a bop in the head because you, you've known each other for so long and then they're not there. But I still do see a lot of old friends. For me, it's not just going to the tournament though, because when you've gone there for so many years, you have met people in town that have become friends. So when I go back, I don't just go to the golf course. I go and see my friends who are up in years now, and they're they're not all doing very well. But that's part of how I spend my time when I'm in Augusta. The rest of the time, the fun part for me going back is to bring people who have not been before. And I try to make that my mantra I'm not going to give somebody a ticket if they've been. I'm going to take people who haven't gone because they're so thrilled. And so that's really fun for me. What we do is we walk the golf course on Thursday backwards because when you do that, you get a different perspective of the hills and the slopes and the greens and you're not following the crowd so much can so you can manipulate your way around and my friends who have not been get a different perspective of the golf course first and then after that we don't really follow an individual and I don't think I've ever followed one person since George passed away. You learn how to work the course as a member of the gallery and where to go so you can sit or stand and see every group. For example, we sat on the first tee till the entire first half of the field went off, and you get there early enough, you're six feet away from the players so you can see their swings their grips their caddies their water or their non-water whatever (laughs) it is they've got in their bags and so my pardon me my friends can see the entire field and then you would work your way continually around the golf course in the same way so you sit on the first tee watch everybody tee off maybe you go to number five 
maybe you go to 6T, watch everybody on the par three, then you go to the ninth hole and watch them come in. Or you go over to 18 if the timing is right and watch the first half of the field finish. So it really turns out to be about an eight or a nine mile walk. And from the bottom of the course, out by the 13th green, to the top of the course where the clubhouse is, I've been told, I don't know this for sure, but that it's a 14-story rise. So I promise you, you're getting your exercise when you're out there. <laughs> and, 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 I, and I can imagine you are the perfect hostess. And, and I'm guessing along the way, you bump into some of the, some of the uh, senior players that, uh, that were on tour with, with, uh, with you and George. And, and when, when, you, when you speak about on tour in the days that, um, that George was on tour, there weren't necessarily private airplanes and things like that to get you from <laughs> tournament to tournament. You kind of loaded things in the car and kids and everything else and, and kind of traveled with other people as well. Exactly, yes. And, uh, you know, there's so much talk in golf today about money with, um, well, the PGA Tour purses have gone up considerably. And, of course, there's that other tour. And uh, in our day, I, I would like your audience to know, especially lovers of golf, that money wasn't the major draw. When George won the Masters, he won $20,000. Now, of course, that was a lot of money back in those days, but it wasn't enough for the rest of our lives, right? (laughs) So we went on the golf tour because we loved, or George particularly, loved golf, and he loved to compete, and he loved to see how well he could do. And fortunately, a lot of the players back in our day did make enough money to survive, but we didn't even have a retirement plan when we started. So it was much different, but it was glorious, and I want to make it very clear It wouldn't sound easy to some people, but it was wonderful. How many times can you go to a different city every week and see everything there is to see in that particular city? So when people ask me what my favorite place was, I don't have an answer because every place I went had something wonderful to learn, to see, and people to meet. So it was it was a great life. But George did pretty well. It's not a great life if you're not doing particularly well. It's very heartbreaking actually. I think I remember you and I talking once. Didn't you have something to do with um starting um a wives association, the PGA Tour Player Wives Association? Yes, I did, and uh, two other wives were with me. We were coming back, actually, from a tour of the Statue of Liberty, and we felt that because we had nothing when we first came on the tour, we hardly had a map. So when you're traveling the country for the first time, you're not exactly sure where the golf course is, where the hotels are, et cetera. And we said... Why don't we see if we can create a handbook for the wives that 
come in uh, through the Q school and give them some advice of the older people that have already done this. And so that's what we did. And out of that was created the Wives Association. So, yeah, it's really fun to be in the beginning of that. But we we did things a lot on our own because we had to. And that was fun. <laughs> You're always fun wherever you are. You know, I, I had asked you that double question at the beginning, and I didn't mean to confuse you. But when, when George won the Masters, you know, which is one of uh, 14 tour victories he had, um, what, did that change his, his life or his career in any way? Or was that just another tournament and we move on to something else next week? Well, I think for George, the way that he had to convince himself as a competitor, he always had the story that the majors were just another tournament because that's the way he could deal with the nerves of a major tournament. However, did it change his life? It did in that he is always going to be a master's champion. But to this day, I still can't believe he won it. Particularly <laughs> when I look at the old films, I said, holy smoke, how did he win that tournament? <laughs> so yes and no, it certainly wasn't financially uh, a windfall for us. But it, it, was, it was fine. It was good. It's better to have won it than not to have won it. But um, not really. We just had more green jackets than we had before. <laughs> <laughs> and no closet to put them in. <laughs> Scott, it sounds, uh, you know, those days uh, are, are you know, romantic historically to us now, but uh, to have, have lived it like Donna and, and George did and so many of those tour players, it, it's, it's really fascinating to hear about. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And, uh, you know, Donna, I wish I had never gone to the Masters because I would have liked to have had an invite to go with you one year. But, oh, that is so sweet. But I will tell you, Frank has not been to the Masters, and I think you need to invite him back one year because he definitely needs to go back there and experience it like you do. It's it's an amazing experience. One of the things, I think this is part of one of the questions you asked, or at least we talked about it before, how has the Masters changed? Do you want to know about that? Sure. Yes. Okay. Well, of course, they have all kinds of events now, and I think that Augusta National and the members are really doing a great job to be inclusive, to have kids' events, women's events, et cetera. But there are some, and of course, of course, has changed. The tees are so far back, you can't even find them anymore. <laughs> uh, so the golf course has changed in terms of length and a lot of other subtleties. But there are some things that have remained the same. And a, a pimento cheese sandwich still is a dollar fifty. Now, where can you get anything for a dollar fifty today? So the food prices have stayed very reasonable, and even the merchandise, the master's merchandise, is reasonable. Um, what's changed? The practice facility is probably like nothing in the world. It's Extraordinary. Every kind of shot is available for you to practice. Um, bunkers, big bunkers, all kinds of uh, 
pitch shots, chip shots, and, of course, drivers. So that's all changed. There's been several more buildings built. They have an amazing press facility now. And they bought up a lot of property around Augusta National itself where they offer free parking for their patrons, which is kind of amazing. But they have so many patrons that it's probably just as far to walk from your car as it is to walk from 1 to the 13th grade. <laughs> We're talking with Donna Archer, uh, and uh, we've, we're doing Master's Memories, and, and we're going to talk about uh, a very special position she holds with the George Archer Foundation in just a moment. But we're going to take a little break, and we'll be right back after this. It's the Golf to Go Hour with Frank LaRosa on Sacktown Sports. We are back on the Golf to Go Radio Hour. Scott Marsh and Frank LaRosa, and we are talking with uh, Donna Archer, who is married to uh, George Archer, a winner of the Masters and uh, 14 tournaments on tour. He made a, he he had a, a great career on the senior tour as well, Donna, and uh, you know he was kind of a favorite here in Sacramento because uh, he he kind of did so well up here. Well, thank you. He he did, and as stated before, we love Sacramento. And when I uh, first met him, he was playing at the state fair tournament, but he won. Uh, at El Macero, I think, was Northern California Amateur. Does that sound right? Or Metal Play? Do you remember the name of it? El Macero's, yeah. The golf course in Davis. Right, right by Sacramento. Right. And he won that as an amateur. That was a pro event. And I think he won it by five strokes. So he had uh, very good memories of Sacramento. And, of course, Hagen Oaks is very beloved to us and the Morton family, et cetera. George uh, had had a secret throughout his career that uh, people were really amazed to learn about after the fact, and uh, you knew certainly, uh, and uh, and your family did. But uh, George didn't want people to know what his secret was because, in many ways, he felt that it would be a detriment to uh, his ability to play golf, and you know maybe other people would find some way to take advantage of it, but. uh, after after he died, he allowed you uh, to um, to tell the world. Uh, so, what what was George dealing with all those years that that nobody was aware of? I think um, when you're you don't have a great ability to read and write, that it's a, a kind of thing that's difficult for people to understand because they can read and write. So it's difficult to imagine what it's like. But uh, he was like anybody who is suffering from a lack of something. He made up for it in other ways. So, yes, it was something he was ashamed of. Yes, it was something he carried his whole life. And, yes, he wished he could have overcome it, but he couldn't. And so basically he was a pretty happy uh, go lucky guy in some ways, not on the golf course and never fishing. He was insane when he came to fishing. <laughs> he even broke my pole once because I caught a fish and he didn't. <laughs> uh, hopefully it was an accident. <laughs> he didn't really throw it at me. <laughs> but anyway, so I think it was something he came to terms with and just dealt with it. And he had ways of dealing with it if 
somebody asked him on a golf course for an autograph. We went through routines where we taught him how to write best wishes or good luck. His name, we he learned how to write his address and our daughter's names, et cetera. So he had a little piece of paper in his wallet he could take out if he had to fill in a passport, something, whatever. So um, he had prototypes of what to write, but... He just lived with it. And when he was asked for an autograph and somebody said, would you write it to good luck Priscilla or something? Well, of course, he would have not been able to write Priscilla. So he said to the person, will you give me your card and I will send you an autograph picture? So he would come home with cards and then we would fill out the autograph pictures and I would put them in envelopes and we would mail them. So that's how he dealt with that. And uh, later on, after we met San Francisco, he didn't have a driver's license when I met him, but San Francisco implemented an oral test. And so he took it and he did get a driver's license. And later on, on PGA Tour, he did tell one of the people who was in charge of Class A cards on the PGA Tour because people always asked him why he didn't play in the Ryder Cup. And he didn't play in the Ryder Cup because he didn't have a Class A card. And he didn't have a Class A card because he couldn't take the oral test, I mean the written test. So eventually the tour gave him an oral test, which he passed. And so he got his Class A. We put up the certificate on the wall. But by that time, it was too late. And back in George's day, the Ryder Cup didn't have the same significance that it does now. So it wasn't quite as big a deal for us as it would be today. So he dealt with it. He did what he had to do. And you did what you had to do afterwards as well, because you um, and and a group of your friends uh, created the George Archer Memorial Foundation for Literacy, and you are president of that organization. And I know it's near and dear to your heart uh, because you, you you've seen what being unable to read uh, does to people, and uh, if it's up to you, every child in the world would learn to read. Definitely, yes. One of the things that was a repercussion in George's case, and I don't know that it's true of everybody who struggles with literacy, but in George's case, because he couldn't read and write past the third grade level, he never really developed a creative kind of mind, except on the golf course. He was pretty creative with golf shots, but um, he wasn't interested in fantasy movies or things like that because he just lacked. He didn't have the creative kind of fun imagination, and I think that's because he never read the Lord of the Rings or the Chronicles of Narnia or these wonderful, wonderful books that have been written. So I am very hopeful that every child would learn how to read these magical stories. And thank you, Frank, for bringing up the foundation. And thank you for being such a big part of it, too. You are it as well. And I know it's a project 
close to your heart, too. And anyone uh, that would like to help in any way can certainly just Google the George Archer Foundation for Literacy and, and learn how you can support and be a member of the or play in the golf tournament or, or whatever it is, however you're able to help. Uh, it's got an incredible story, you know, of a, of a, of a really, really good player and, uh, you know, fighting this demon the whole time. Yeah, a good player, a better person. And, Donna, I, I now know that you, you know, fell in love with him, stalking him on the golf course. But what is it about George that you love so much? Maybe you can share that with everybody. What was George that you, you loved about him so much? He was very sweet to me on our first date. He was really sweet. And he he was just a really down-to-earth person. And as I got to know him, of course, you know, when we first met and when we first married, we were like two blobs of clay. And over time, we sort of formulated each other <laughs> into one blob. And uh, so people change over time. And But he was fierce on the golf course. And I can't emphasize that enough for anybody who loves golf. He just had such a gravel in his gut and spit in his eye. And it made him a really good player. He was able to compartmentalize too, so that on the golf course, he was just on fire. But I liked his integrity. I liked the fact that he taught me when I was a teenager to never root against his opponent because he wanted his opponent to play his very best. So when he beat him, he would have really done something. I don't hear too many people talking that philosophy, <laughs> especially his soccer moms. Yeah. <laughs> So I, he, he was a person of integrity, and he was the consummate professional. And by that, I mean he had great respect for his fellow professionals and went out of his way to make things peaceful for them. I don't see that very often either. Don, I don't see anybody like you very often either. No. You, you know, you, you're incredible, and uh, what you've done uh, with the foundation, and what you've done with your family, and and uh, you know, continuing George's legacy is just remarkable. And and uh, I you, love you to you. death, and uh, I appreciate you spending some time with us on the show today. Yeah. Well, thank you, gentlemen. I really appreciate you, and thanks for the show that you do, and uh, allowing me to be a part of it. We, we're going to have you back. We, you just have too many stories uh, that, that we need to hear. <laughs> well, sometimes I'll tell you the good ones. <laughs> <laughs> Donna Archer uh, on the Golf to Go Radio Hour. Uh, Scott Marsh and I will be back right after this. It's the Golf to Go Hour with Frank LaRosa on Sacktown Sports. Welcome back in to the Golf to Go Radio Hour right here on Sacktown Sports 1140. Hello, everyone. I'm Frank LaRosa along with Scott Marsh, and uh, we are going across the country for our next interview. Jeff Russell, uh, who is uh, a Sacramentan, uh, went to high school at uh, at Miraloma and uh, then went off and uh, found his fortune in the world of golf. Uh, Jeff spent 35-plus uh, uh, years uh, with uh, Golf Digest, Golf uh, World Magazine, and, and ended his career at the... Uh, at the Golf Channel, and now sits happily retired in sunny Florida, and so he has time to talk to us. Good morning, Jeff. How are you? 
I'm great, Frank. Thanks for having me on. It's great to talk to you guys. It's great to reconnect with uh, with my old hometown. Uh, still have really fond memories of Sacramento. Don't get back there as much as I'd like to, but it's nice to talk to you guys today. What, what's your fondest memory of Sacramento? That you know, having moved around the country now. Well, you know, that's a great that's a great question, and I I think. I think maybe the four summers I spent working at Del Paso Country Club when I was in college, um, you know, I, I think I think those four summers had as much to do with me getting into the golf business as as uh, as anything. I was a, a student. I you know I played golf when I was at Mira Loma. I wasn't a I wasn't a very uh, certainly didn't earn much recognition. I wasn't a great golfer in those days. But I I went to college. Uh, in Southern California at a little division three school and, and was able to make the golf team there. And then would come home in the summers, work for Les Streeper, who was the pro uh, at the time and eventually work with Mike Green, who I'm sure you, you know, and is still, uh, still believe, you know, the director of golf out there and one of my best friends ever, and really just kind of flourished at that place. And, and the, and the, and the members and the people I worked with and saw, that there was that you know that working in golf was a wasn't didn't have to be a pipe dream. There was a real opportunity there. So I think that probably is what I what I look back in the many many years I, I spent growing up in Sacramento. I think about those four summers a lot. You know, and Del Paso still retains that aura. I was just there for a tournament this week, and and Mike is still there, smiling and greeting people. And uh, yeah, it's it's a great place to play golf. Yes, it is. I, you you sort of suggested that you weren't much of a golfer, but um, as I read uh, in your background, you competed twice in the NCAA Division Three National Championship. So they don't they don't let the slackers in on that one. That that is very true. You know, to give it to kind of give it perspective, I, I would say when I graduated from Miraloma, I was probably a six handicap, and by the time you know I was. You know that that first summer at Del Paso, which was the year after I graduated, I just you know they let me play golf there, and I in the evenings, and I played a ton of golf, and I got better, and you know I I think eventually I got down to probably a one handicap, and and that was you know that was good enough to to I did you know to to get to nationals twice. Once was in Pinehurst, and the second time was at a course outside of Syracuse, and you know I finished a hundredth the first time and eightieth the second time, so. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's certainly, certainly nothing to brag about my kids, you know, kids give me a hard time when, when, when I start to get a little too, uh, you know, proud of my golf achievements. They like to remind me that, you know, I, I finished a hundredth at nationals. So <laughs> somebody has to finish a hundredth, right? That's so right. That was me. Boy, you, t- you, you mentioned kids and, and, uh, that, that, that's enough to gang up on you. You have triplets. So I have triplets, um, uh, they're 19 years old now. They're finishing their freshman year in college. Um, it's been, it's been wonderful. Uh, they're, um, you know, they, they love sports. My, uh, my wife, Molly is a, um, we've been married 27 years. She is a, a television producer. Um, we actually, uh, she works, she's worked for NBC her whole career. She currently is in, in charge of Olympics production. She's, she's a very, decorated successful tv producer but we it's kind of how we ended up at the golf channel is that um is that my magazine career was was starting to get difficult print journalism in the 
in the late, you know, 2000, 2008, 2009 was starting to be a real challenge. And, and there was an opportunity for both of us to go to the golf channel. I, I had never, uh, I had never worked in television, but I'd been married to somebody who was, and, and that's kind of how that came about. Uh, and and direct decorated yes uh, multiple Emmy award winner your wife that's yes, that's yes. very impressive. Um, you, you talk about uh, the early days of print journalism. That's when when um, when the writers were were the only journalists. I mean you know the the fact that uh, people had a camera and they were on television. Well, you know that's that's showbiz. That's something else. So yes. it, it's been interesting to see how that has has sort of transcended over the years. But tell us about those early days in print. What sure. It, you know, it, it's very, very true, Frank. You know, I, 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 um, I went to work for golf, uh, for golf digest in 1986, uh, right after I got out of graduate school. And, um, and two years after I got there, the company bought golf world magazine, which had been an independent publication out of North Carolina. And, and I, the attraction for me about Golf World is, you know, Golf Digest, if anybody who reads Golf Digest, and it's a wonderful magazine, but it's it's really predicated on instruction and equipment writing. And and I'm really, for all the golf I've played my whole life, and Mike Green would be the first one to tell you this, I don't know the first thing about the golf swing. I'm just not very technical about it. And it was, Golf Digest would have been a hard place to work for a guy who didn't want to write about instruction. But we bought, we, we bought, golf, the company bought Golf World magazine, which was, Really, all Golf World did every every week was cover professional golf tournaments. And my first assignment for the magazine after I after I moved over to Golf World, I was the the magazine's beat writer for the LPGA and the senior tours. And and the thing about it was in 1988, 89, there was no golf channel. There was no Internet. There were no golf websites. And and the LPGA and the senior tour had you know, maybe four tournaments a year on television. And so I was going to these tournaments that were really getting outside of the local newspaper, weren't getting any coverage at all. And if you were a if you were a, a golf fan in those days, particularly if you were a, a fan of the LPGA and the senior tour, the only way to find out what was going on was to get was to subscribe to a magazine like Golf World. And and we had, I remember going to those tournaments in those media centers and kind of having free run of the place. You know, the the players were easy to talk to. They were happy to talk to any kind of a reporter who was there and wanted to write about them. And and um, and I developed great sources. I learned how to, you know, I learned that caddies, you know, were really great, uh, you know, full of information and full of stories about what was really going on on tour. And it was I ended up doing that for about four years and it, and it really, really gave me a great foundation as a, you know, as a, as a golf writer and a tournament reporter, which is what I grew up wanting to do. Um, and then, you know, eventually, uh, you know, eventually all those other things happened. The golf channel happened and the internet happened and, and it, it, you know, over time it made it, it made it harder and harder to do the job. But I would say there was, you know, for about 15 years there, a magazine like Golf World really um, held a real preeminence in the game as far as as far as covering the weekly rhythm of golf, which, as you guys know, I mean, it's all year long, right? The, the you know golf season never ends, um, so we had a lot to do, and it was fun. 
You know, there's an interesting correlation, which didn't occur to me till you started talking about covering the senior tour. But uh, Donna Archer, uh, George's widow, is is going to be on this show as well. What's what's your uh, what, what's your impression? What's what's your favorite memory about George, I guess? Well, George, um, that's a good question. George, I don't think George won any senior tournaments when I was when I was covering the tour, um, I remember interviewing him a couple of times and obviously being from, from Gilroy and Northern California, which is kind of where I was from. We had a little bit of a connection. I always, you know, always connected with those guys who were, who were California guys. Um, and it wasn't until I had left the tour and and had moved on to other duties at the magazine that the stories came out about his illiteracy, um, which which was amazing to me because if you if you spent time talking to him and interviewing him and asking him about his golf and asking him, you know, you know, it was that was the great thing about the senior tours is you could, you know, a guy like George Archer who had won the Masters, you could have a really interesting conversation with a with a guy who had who had won a major championship and it was you know it wasn't there weren't a hundred other reporters you know standing around you know screaming questions it was really a one-on-one conversation but to find out a few years later about about the experience that he had was was really incredible and and really made you admire him even more um you know just that he was he was able to have a long as long a professional career as he had and that and that secret had never come out before scott sounds really exciting to be able to you know have that kind of uh, one-on-one relationship with with uh, the players uh, in those days huh yeah what a career um jeff i'm curious about the golf channel obviously that's kind of become the standard for for golf fans now and, and uh, getting the news and of course, Brandel Chambly and the whole crew—they're—they're—they're they're, they're icons now. Talk about your your experience there in that transition. Sure, you know. Um, so I was hired when 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 my wife and I were hired to go to the Golf Channel. She was hired as the executive producer, and I—you guys know what an executive producer does. They're in charge of the whole, yeah. you know, thing putting you know putting the 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 pictures on the screen and and everything that goes into that. I was hired as the executive editor, and that. It's a little bit of an amorphous term in 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 the world of television, um, but I was I was kind of in charge of editorial standards and editorial practices, and and also I think I had at that point twenty six years of experience in golf, and I knew you know I knew all the the people who ran the organizations and the people who ran the equipment companies, and I think that that they the people at the golf channel at that point felt like they needed a con, you know, th- there needed to be a contact person who could interact with, with all of those constituencies. And that's what, and that's what I did. But I, um, you know, I, I remember the first day I went to work there was the day that Tiger Woods won the 2012 Bay Hill tournament. It was like the first tournament he'd won since the car, you know, the, the Cadillac accident, yeah. you know, the very first the fire hydrant. Right. And it was a huge, huge day. And, and we did a great show that night, but Brandel, um, who, you know, Brandel and I came to be incredible friends and we are friends to this day, but that first day he was doing a show and was, 
was talking about uh, Sean Foley and what a lousy job he thought Sean Foley was doing teaching Tiger Woods. He was kind of saying <laughs> Tiger Woods' problem, you know, Tiger Woods' slump isn't because his he crashed into a fire hydrant. It's because Sean Foley's teach, you know, changed his golf swing. And so after the show, I went up to, to Brandon. I said, you know, that, that was really an interesting point. He said, thanks. And I said, I'm just curious. Did you ever talk to Sean Foley about that? And he said, I don't have to talk to Sean Foley. I I watch them on the range. I can see what they're working on. And I said, okay, but you know, if you're going to, if you're going to practice journalism, proper journalism, you know, the, it, the basic tenet is you got to talk to both sides. And I think, and I think going forward, you should, you know, it may be an uncomfortable conversation, but I think you've got to give, you know, Sean Foley a chance to, to give you his, to explain himself. Right. And, yeah. um, and that's, in a nutshell, that's kind of what I spent nine years at the Golf Channel doing. Um, I'm not a TV producer. I was never, um, you know, I, I if, if there was a hard transition for me, it's just that I was coming from a world where, you know, you sort of dealt with one problem at a time. And, and you if someone asked you a question, you gave them a thousand word answer and and you really analyzed it. And TV, it's just everything's yeah. so quick and so. Um, and really, to be fair to Brandel and and everybody else who 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 is on television giving their opinions, you know, it's all happening in the moment. There's no time to review what you're what you're thinking, to fact check what you're thinking, to you know, to really vet it. You just got to do it, and and if you know, and deal with whatever with, with whatever comes afterwards. So you know, nine years it was we sort of grew grew towards the middle. Um, yeah, but it was. Wonderful. Yeah, no, it sounds great. Uh, I have to ask your wife, Molly, we've talked about her a lot too. How did you guys meet? And I'm just curious, working with her so closely, you know, you guys, your career so interwoven over all this time. Yeah. Uh, well, we met, um, she's a little bit younger than me. So we went, we met at the 1994 Solheim Cup. Molly, Molly went to work for NBC in 1990, right after she got out of Georgetown. She was what was, uh, was called an Olympics researcher, which is a big position at NBC and a big position in the Olympics division, especially. But she spent two years researching the bar, you know, everything having to do with the Olympics in Barcelona in 1992. And then after the Olympics, she was hired. And in those days, you know, her primary uh, responsibility was the Olympics. But in those days, NBC didn't have the Winter Olympics. So it was just the summer. So it was every four years. So in those intervening years, she had to do other things and she 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 worked on the NBA, she worked on the NFL, but she but she worked on golf. And that was where she got introduced to golf. And at a at the Solheim Cup in 1994, we got set up on a blind date and we really hit it off. And um, and, you know, she plays golf. It's a very compatible. We love sports. You know, it's a compatible relationship. And I think it was, you know, we spent we you know, you fast forward, Golf Channel was was launched in 1995, you know, fast forward to like the early 2000s. And Molly and I used to sit in our living room together, analyzing, critiquing the Golf Channel together. You know, she was doing it as a TV producer, and I was doing it as as a as a golf journalist, you know, as a golf editor. And, and so then to get the opportunity, six or seven years later to 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 go to work at the Golf Channel, in the, you know, essentially in those roles, right? You know, her in charge of production and me in charge of the golf content. It was, to us, it was very natural. I think 
maybe to other, you know, I'm sure I, I don't, I honestly don't recall many instances where people were uncomfortable with the fact that, you know, here were two executives who happened to be married to each other. I know it was, it was, it was a little complicated for Comcast and NBC to, to make that work from a human resources standpoint, but they did it. But I will tell you, she's amazing, you know, and, and I, um, I was, I was a little bit of a fish out of water in television. She, she was fantastic. And she, you know, I knew this from being married to her, but she really, it's what I just said, you know, she can do seven things at once and, Mm -hmm. and I can't. Um, And so um, it was, it was very, it was very compatible. I, I think we, I think we learned to, you know, we, we, we got really good at trusting each other and, and she listened to me and I listened to her, but, but there's a reason why at the end of it, you know, it was time for me to, to step down and do other things. And, it, and while she, you know, while she eventually returned to the Olympics division as the president and, and that's what she's still doing. So that probably working with your spouse is not for everybody, but I think we, I think we pulled it off. You know, we're, we're, I don't want to say we're one dimensional people, but we just, you know, we both grew up wanting to work in, in sports journalism and that's what we did. So. Amazing careers for both of you as well. Um, you. You know, I just, uh, time always gets in the way, Jeff, but I, but I one question, I was a little confused. I saw on your, uh, your on your Twitter, um, uh, uh, post there that uh, you were hoping to come back as a civil war professor. I, I didn't know whether that meant that you wanted to be a professor during the civil war or talk about it now. No, that's a, that's a, it's, that's a pretty simple answer. I just, um, I, you know, if, if, if there's anything I, I love doing uh, besides, you, you know, following golf, it's history. I'm, I'm a big American history guy. And when, you know, we talked about my kids back when my kids were uh, infants, you know, brand new, you know, newborns. And, and I had the, all those nights where I was awake all night with feedings and stuff like that. I, I really needed something to do between, you know, to kind of keep, keep myself going uh, in the middle of the night. And I picked up a book about a civil war general named Dan Sickles, um, who's an interesting guy. He was at Gettysburg and he lost a leg and, and uh, anyway, it turned me on to the civil war and I started kind of got an obsessive, a little bit of a compulsive personality. And, and I just started reading and I love to read. I started reading about the civil war and I bet you I've got 200 books on the civil war at this point, you know, Um, and I know all about the battles and I know all about Lincoln and Ulysses Grant and, so that's that's why that's in there. I'm not I'm not a you know, I've kind of gotten away from Twitter a little bit since I retired, but I do remember that's in my Twitter biography. That's what that's all about. Does it help understanding the breakup between the PGA and Liz now with your civil war yes. background? It 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 it, uh, it does, you know. I think you learn. I mean, I think I'm not sure anybody could I'm not sure there's a there's a solution or a or a mediation to be done there, but if there was Lincoln and, and Grant could probably handle it as well. <laughs> We're talking with Jeff Russell, who uh, spent uh, a, a long career in the golf world uh, on the, on the media side with, uh, with uh, golf digest golf world magazine and, and the golf channel. And uh, we just have to have him back. Cause I think he has yes. more stories, but uh, Jeff, I appreciate you uh, taking some time and being with us today on the golf to go radio hour. 
Thank you very much, Frank. Thank you very much, Scott. It's it's really, as I said at the beginning, it's it's a it's just a privilege and an honor to be able to come back and do this. And I'm a, you know, I I um I just need to come back to Sacramento more. I, I you know still great thing about the pandemic is all my high school golf team teammates we kind of reconnected and and we're trying to find a, a time to do that. So I'll let you know. Yeah, I but we're not you're... holding against you that you uh, are friends with Kim Tierney. We will we <laughs> past that point. Thank you very I, much. I think there's a tea time at uh, Del Paso in our future. We'll have yes. to talk to Mike Green about that. Let's do it. I get Mike as a partner, though. I I would need him to kind of <laughs> me up. So this, this wraps up another edition of the Golf to Go Radio Hour. Uh, join us back next week uh, for Scott Marsh. I'm Frank LaRosa. Thanks much to Jeff Russell and Donna Archer being with us today. Back with more uh, when we can hear you again. Bye-bye.